Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of EO Fire and welcome to Master Leadership. Great leaders ask great questions and this podcast takes you on a journey to master leadership with questions that matter to leaders who matter with your host, Lily Sinabria. Hi, this is Lily, and today we have the pleasure of having Dr. Michael Nichols with us. And if you're going to live and lead well, you must be thoughtful and purposeful about it. And it is through remarkable intentional leadership that Michael has led remarkable growth in companies, colleges and universities, and nonprofits for more than 25 years. Having served as chairman and CEO of an international marketing firm, a college and university executive, and a nonprofit executive, today Michael's work is all about helping leaders simplify their life, work, and leadership. His work through the Guidestone Group is helping leaders find more margin, make better connections with people, and be more fulfilled and productive in their work. He is the author of Creating Your Business Vision and has a Doctor of Education degree in organizational leadership. Michael coaches leaders and teams through vision development, strategic planning, process development, and life and work balance. He is a keynote speaker at conferences, events, businesses, and on university campuses all over the world on a variety of topics, including personal and business planning, vision, team leadership, organizational growth, and marketing. He is currently serving as president and CEO of the Guidestone Group and the founder of Guidestone University and the retreat at Guidestone Hills. He also serves as the chairman of the board of directors for the Green Tree Foundation. Dr. Nickel works every day to help busy people excel in life and in their work. He is deeply committed to serving organizations and leaders all over the world. Welcome, Dr. Michael Nichols. How are you? Uh, Very good. Thank you. Great. We're so happy to have you on our podcast. So as you know, this podcast takes us on a journey to master leadership. And we want to do that today by asking you key questions. So are you ready to pour into our listeners? Absolutely. Looking forward to it. (laughs) Great. So Michael, what inspired you to choose leadership? Yeah. So, you know, like most people, I feel like my path to leadership is unique. I think what we find, the more leaders that we talk to, more people we talk to, we find that everybody has a very unique and very interesting path to leadership. So I love the question. My dad helped me start my first business when I was 11 years old. and 11? uh, Yeah, which is somewhat unusual. At the time, I thought he saw some kind of creative genius, some entrepreneurial genius in me. Mm-hmm. I later realized that he was just trying to keep me out of trouble because I was an active little boy. Mm. And uh, so Smart man. Did, yeah, yeah. So he helped me you know, start this business, which, which eventually helped me to pay my way through college. I, I got out of my undergrad work with no college debt, which even at that time was a pretty amazing thing. And after college, went to work for a nonprofit for several years. In the course of, of working at that nonprofit, we started helping other nonprofits with outreach and with marketing. 
we became so busy doing that that we had to make a decision. Either we would stop helping these nonprofits, some of them faith-based, all of them doing transformational work in their local communities or in the marketplace uh, around the world. Uh, we would either pull back on that or we would really have to launch a full-time consultation business to help them. And we made the decision to go full-time, started a marketing consulting firm in the Washington, D.C. area, and was there for a couple years and then realized we could save a significant amount of overhead by moving to Jacksonville, Florida, which is where we were doing a bunch of publications and printing at the time. And so we relocated there, met my wife in Jacksonville, Florida, in 1999. And then a few years later, one of our largest clients, which was a university, asked us to come on full-time. Mm -hmm. And so from there, I was full-time in higher ed for a while. And about nine years ago, I realized that some of the dysfunctions that I was experiencing, both in my own leadership and within organizations that I was serving in, I started writing about them. Mm -hmm. And I thought I was the only one experiencing some of these things. Nobody could relate to the things that I was experiencing. And what I found at that time was a community of people that were experiencing many of the same things that I was. And I'm sure, you know, as you've started the podcast and you've been communicating with people and even our listeners today, they're like, yes, yes, right. that's what I found too. There's people out there who are who are struggling with the same things that I am. And so over the last several years, we've started walking a path where we just began helping leaders and serving leaders and supporting them and resourcing them. And today we're so incredibly humbled and honored to be consulting and training with leaders and teams from organizations like Mercedes and Boeing and Staples and CNN, Lululemon Athletic Apparel. I never thought I'd be consulting with a, a yoga athletic apparel uh, <laughs> a maker. Um, they're actually coming again uh, here in just a couple of weeks, another one of their teams wow. to our retreat center. And we're hosting thousands of people every year at our retreat center now here in the Atlanta area. It's just incredibly rewarding work, creating memorable experiences for people. So, Michael, I'd love to talk about your retreat center. But before that, you said that you realized that there was some dysfunction in leadership or in your leadership. And how how did you come to realize that? Well, probably like most of us who realize there's dysfunction, it's easier for us to realize there's dysfunction in other people first. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> in fact, this morning I had a breakfast meeting with a leader that I'm very close to. And I sat down and I was explaining to them some challenges that another leader, and almost in the midst of explaining those challenges to them, I had this thought, hey, there's some areas there that I can improve also. And so it's almost as if in my conversation with this person, somebody held up a mirror and said, hey, there's something a little off for you too. And the type of work that we did, we came into organizations, especially in higher ed, mm -hmm. that experienced significant decline. I mean, double digit decline in enrollment or in donor development. There was significant concern, even in some cases about the viability of the institution. Mm -hmm. And so we would come in and we would help them rethink processes and people systems and models and even data and get them back on track. And in every situation, the teams were very successful, made significant changes. But along the way, you know, it always gets more chaotic before we start really seeing momentum and before we start seeing significant results. It's like and the breakdown before the breakthrough, right? Exactly. And the thing that baffled me was that people at the highest levels in these organizations wanted the results, but did not realize the amount of work and the amount of commitment that was going to be required to get to momentum. I mean, as a young leader, 
most of the time I was by far the youngest person in the room. Mm -hmm. And I would sit there at times, I'm sure my jaw on the table saying, did you think that you were going to come in and revolutionize this institution to get growing again? And there weren't going to be challenges like those that we're talking about here in the room. Right. By seeing that, I realized as I would go back to my own organization and I began questioning and evaluating, am I doing these same things? Am I taking these same unhealthy behaviors into the workplace? And so in some cases I was. In some cases I needed to back up and deal with some things in my past, some painful things in childhood and adolescence, mm-hmm. some painful things things early in my career. And then that's when we decided, man, there are tons of people, tens of thousands, if not millions of people all over the world that need somebody to walk this path with them too. Mm-hmm. And uh, we decided we wanted to do that. You know, Michael, it, it takes courage. And a lot of people are fearful of doing what you talked about dealing with issues in your past, because I mean, I strongly believe that has an impact on relationships. It's also magnified in leadership, and you can really do damage. But you've created something. Tell us about the retreat you've created, because I think it's brilliant. Yeah, so here's the way we like to explain, especially to people who are new uh, in their uh, relationship with us. What we are doing is creating memorable experiences for people Mm -hmm. to give them the opportunity to reflect, get, get some think space, to relax. Some of the work, as you say, it's hard work. We're fearful or reluctant to do it for many different reasons. We can talk about that mm-hmm. as we go go on here today. But there are all these reasons why we're reluctant to do it or why we don't do it. And so what we're trying to do is make it easier for people to create memorable experiences for them at the retreat center. So we do things somewhat differently. We pair coaching and counseling together if there's a need for that within leaders or teams or within their organizations. If somebody comes to us and they're looking for coaching, and which coaching is present to future, and we realize, hey, there's some things in their past that need to be addressed, we can recommend that they consider some of those things, which mm-hmm. is, that's what my path was. We have people that come to us for counseling. Maybe they've experienced some grief or some family challenge or some work challenge, some incredibly painful thing they've experienced. And rather than terminating them, which is kind of the counseling uh, language that they use, you know, once they get to a healthy place, you want to hand them off to an executive coach or business coach to help take them to the next level, number one. Number two is we've got just some what we think are incredibly fun and memorable experiences that we do. We have uh, eight horses at the retreat right oh, now. how wonderful. And so we do some just fun things where just the light bulb comes on for even these executives at these large Fortune 500 companies. We also have like an adventure experience we call it uh, Hunt for the Hills, and it's like an amazing race type experience that's app based. Mm-hmm. You have iPhones or Android, so you go out with your team, and you you have these clues, and you try to find the clues, and take pictures and videos, and you can talk smack in the app to to the teams you're competing against. <laughs> I mean, it's just a lot of fun. That's a lot of good therapy right there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then at the end, you get this, you know, you get all these files, these videos, and pictures, and and even the the smack talking that went on, and then it gives you opportunities to talk about. How did we do with this and and how why were we successful and why was this team successful and this team not? It just gives us all kinds of opportunities to engage in dialogue and, and talk through things. So just some fun things that we're doing. That's just a few of the things. It seems like a fun and a safe place yep. where you can kind of address
address all those issues. Now, where are you based? We're in Atlanta, just 20 miles west of the airport. The most accessible airport in the world. Flies more places direct than any other airport in the world. You would just not believe we're just 20 minutes away from the airport, and yet it feels like you've entered into Nashville, North Carolina or something. Oh, wow. You just uh, It's just an incredibly beautiful place. Wow, I want to go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so if someone wanted to contact you, should they go to your website? Yeah, a great place to start is mm-hmm. guidestonehills.com, just like it sounds. Mm-hmm. And of course, you can search for us on Facebook or Google or, or Google Maps. Uh, in fact, I'd encourage you to look us up on all those places. There's different pictures and videos on those places and uh, get familiar with who we are and, and what we're doing. We're adding more and more you know, every day, every week to what we do. We've just had the retreat center a little over a year. So it's a new tool for us mm-hmm. and lots uh, more to come. Fantastic. So Let's move on. How would you describe your leadership style? Yeah, so let me answer it this way. It's always an interesting question. We're helping leaders to make fundamental decisions to live principle-based lives. And in fact, our model, the five phases of simple leadership, is all about helping people simplify their life, their work, their leadership, so that they have more margin. Everybody is too busy. Every single one of us will say, we're too busy. So if we have more margin, then we can make better connections and we have better relationships. And all of us would say, we don't have deep relationships anymore. In some cases, we don't even know what they look like. People, if they have more margin, they can be more fulfilled in their work. They can be more productive without being overloaded. And so for me, this is the path that I've walked. And it's the path that we're guiding hundreds of leaders down today, every week, every month. And so for me, my leadership style would be, we want people to make a few fundamental decisions that simplify thousands of other decisions for them. So they have more margin, they're making better connections, they're more fulfilled in their work, they're more productive without being overloaded. And so it's a principle and purpose-based leadership. You mentioned Mm -hmm. overloaded. I know in education that seems to be a virtue. Like if you find someone who's really talented, you just overload them. Mm -hmm. And the more they can do, the better they seem. Mm -hmm. And we do a lot of harm. So I love what you're doing. So tell us, what's the best advice you've received? There's a couple of things that, as I tell my story and kind of talk about the path that we've gone, not just as an individual, but as a team and and now as an organization, I've alluded to it already. The one that really drives everything that we do is this. Every decision that we make does one of two things. It either complicates or simplifies. And the majority of decisions that we make complicate. They add more chaos, more complexity. Just as we're listening right now, we can think about the last meeting that we were in and a decision that somebody made in the meeting for the, for the rest of the people that were there. You know, maybe somebody decided not to do something, and that complicates things for the majority of people that are in the room. And it's really a mind shift that we have to go through because the majority of decisions that we make complicate things for us. We create our own drama and then we complain about the drama. (laughs) (laughs) I have a good quote on that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And we do it in higher ed. I mean, higher ed's a breeding ground for this. I mean, I I was part of that problem. (laughs) Right, right. And so I think that's something that really it'd be good for all of us to give more thought to. The decisions that I'm making, are they simplifying things for me in the short term and the long term? Are they complicating things for me in the short term and the long term? And what can I do to improve those decisions? Number two, I was interviewing Mark Miller a number of years ago. He's a vice president at Chick-fil-A. In fact, he'd be a great person for you to talk to as well. Okay. Mark, uh, just incredible person, 16th employee at Chick-fil-A years ago, thir- about 35, 36 years ago. 
And I ask him, you've seen all of this growth in Chick-fil-A from a few hundred thousand dollar company to multi-billion dollar now, six, seven billion dollar company. What is the greatest need that you're seeing in organizations? And without hesitating, he said, everybody needs a coach. Mm-hmm. Everybody needs somebody or some bodies that is speaking into their life and is helping them to see things that they can't see and helping them achieve things that they don't even understand or believe that they can accomplish. And that was a life changer for me, Um, not only to get help and feedback myself, but to become that person for leaders, high performing leaders who are doing transformational work in the marketplace. And then the third thing for me, which was really good and helped me probably more personally than anything else, is I heard Andy Stanley say at, at some point at this, this time I was experiencing some significant dysfunction in, in my roles and in our family. I heard him say that your greatest legacy may not be something that you do or you become in your lifetime, but it may be something that your children or your grandchildren or somebody that you've mentored or encouraged or helped along the way, something they do or become. And so my work became less about myself and what I can accomplish and what I can even help organizations accomplish. Mm -hmm. It became more about becoming a student of those people who are closest to me, helping them be successful, and then helping, again, leaders who are doing transformational work, helping them be successful in their work. You mentioned something that speaks to me, and one of the reasons why I'm even doing this podcast is you said everyone needs a coach. Mm -hmm. And because I'm in the education field, what I've noticed is the mindset. If you need a coach, it's because there's a problem. problem. So can you speak to that? Because I'm trying to help shift this. I've had coaches who have helped me tremendously, and I continue to have coaches in my life. Yeah, and this would be a great study for someone to do. I suspect that some of that is generational. So our parents were very independent, Uh, our grandparents, very independent because they had to be place in life, things that were going on in the world, things that were going on in our country. These last two generations, Gen X, Gen Y, you know, the baby busters and and now the millennials are much more interdependent. They're much more transparent and authentic. They crave that even from those of us that would be older Gen Xers or, or even the baby boomers. And so I think we're seeing a transition take place in the marketplace where people are more transparent, more authentic, which allows them then to reach out. For example, I think counseling and coaching marketplace is exploding. Some of those things are good. Some of them are real challenges. I think it becomes challenging to find out, you know, somebody really experienced enough to help you or are you throwing uh, good money after bad? Right. I, I think that it does create some challenges there. But I think for the most part, there's a trend where it's less of a stigma to sit down with a therapist or a counselor. I mean, even celebrities today, mm-hmm. uh, many of them are seeing life coaches or health coaches or therapists. And so I think we're seeing a little bit of transition. Michael, so tell us what type of leader are you inspired by and why? Yeah, this is a great question. And, you know, my answer is probably not the typical answer that we would even expect because people, even great leaders, and some of this goes back to what we've been talking about here today, people make mistakes and sometimes they're colossal. Sometimes they're huge. They derail us. You know, here's somebody that we respected and we trusted and they make mistakes. I mean, I've made some significant mistakes and that lets us down. It makes people wonder if leading is even worth it. In fact, I heard this week of a leader of a large nonprofit after 14 
14 years, he started this nonprofit, grew it to multi-million dollar organization, helping tons of people. Now he's stepping down. He has a huge platform nationwide, if not internationally. And for whatever reason, he's stepping down. So it makes us wonder, is it even worth it to get into leadership? Are we going to get burnt out just like the next person? I mean, that was this guy's reasoning for stepping down. He's just done. He's burnt out. And for us, we, and, and some of this is semantics, but, but some of it is something really for us to consider. We're trying to focus less on the type of leader and more on the principles and purpose that are necessary for transformational leadership in the marketplace. And some people would say, okay, that's a cynical perspective or you're parsing words or, or semantics. But we know the value in preparing people for failure, both their own failure and the failure of other people, because failing is, in, is inevitable. Mm-hmm. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to do things that hurt people. And so preparing them to pick up, to repair those relationships, to right the wrongs, to, to not get derailed by those things, and then in many cases to limit those things as we go forward has become so important for us, helping them be prepared so when bad things happen, we're able to handle them. As we think about the type of leaders that inspire us. We're looking for people who uh, are doing principle-based work, purposeful work, and helping others do transformational work in the marketplace. I've never heard that, where you're preparing people for failure. And it makes Mm -hmm. so much sense, because if you give people tools, they won't fall apart. Um, They won't hurt as many people, because they're able to recover. Yeah, I can tell you a funny practical story about this, and where it really became early in my career. When we moved to Jacksonville, Florida, we purchased a commercial building. We used a lot of the space, but we didn't need all of the space. And so we started a property management company to help us rent out that space. And we did that for several years. We were very successful with it. Several other people saw our success and wanted to get into real estate. And so I helped them, uh, our team helped them get into real estate. And after the first few tenants, in fact, the, the first time they had a tenant that didn't pay or they had a tenant that would tear up their property and they'd have to go in and spend thousands of dollars, they came back to me and said, man, I'm not cut out for this. Mm-hmm. And for us, you know, the property management thing had really just become part of what we do. You know, people mess stuff up, you go and you fix it. And I realized that my mentality was was nearly the opposite of their mentality. My mentality was plan for every tenant to be a deadbeat. If you're renting today, I'm not saying you're a deadbeat, but, right. <laughs> but you plan for every tenant to be a deadbeat. And right. if they're not, it's a bonus. And so the silly little story has stuck with me. You know, I work with executives who are dealing with challenges with their direct reports. These people are, who are at high levels of organizations. And it just blows their mind that this person acts this way. And I'm like, well, it's a person. <laughs> We're mm-hmm. dealing with people. Right, right. And uh, or it's it's like us driving through Atlanta traffic or L.A. traffic or Washington, D.C. traffic and getting ticked off every day. Mm-hmm. when it happens every day. I mean, why are we getting upset? It happens every day. So why not figure out how to prepare yourself to make the most of the situation that we find ourselves in? Yeah, I often yeah. observe how some people are addicted to stress, yep. myself included <laughs> at one time. Yep. So what does it mean to have a good team and how would you build one? Yeah, so again, I can really just share for our team we're trying to create the team within our own organization that we're helping other teams to create as well. And sometimes organizations and leaders and teams are able to do that. Sometimes they're not able to really get there. For us, uh, our leadership team is almost all millennials, which is 
unusual. We have three Gen Xers and then we have the rest of millennials, our team. So they're about collaboration and they want their time to be flexible and they want us to engage in personal goals that they have. And so we've just made that a part of what we do. In fact, whenever anybody is added to our team, we ask them this question. We ask them, what does success look like for you? And we do it with everybody else on the team there. We write it out on the whiteboard. And then we have a common document that has what success looks like for each one of us individually. And then we also have on that document what success looks like as a team. And so I think that's a great exercise for every team to go through to understand what personal and work success looks like for each team member. Mm -hmm. And we're engaged in, in not only helping our team members accomplish what they want to accomplish in their role, but we're engaged in helping them accomplish what they want to outside of work in their personal life. We have one of our team members that wants to do equestrian eventing and they want to compete at a high level. Well, that has nothing to do with our mission, our vision as an organization. But we've allocated space to them at the retreat and we've allocated time to them in order to pursue that for themselves. And I could tell, you know, we have things like that for every single person on our team. We're helping them accomplish things that they want to accomplish personally. So I think that's really important. I think the second thing that I would say for anybody who's part of a team or considering to be part of a team is to understand, do you work with a team or do you work with a family? Mm. So that's a great question. I think Mark Miller was also the one that said that to me. See, a team is results-oriented. A family, if you don't hit the mark, you're still going to be family. Now, there might be a conversation, but you're not going to get fired from a family. A team puts up with less drama and less things than a family. So there's all kinds of analogies that you could draw there. A lot of good articles have been written uh, on that as well. So understanding what your team is. For us, we have a little bit of a blend. We are results-oriented, but we also want people to be healthy, holistically healthy, and so we try to help them do that. Wow, that's so smart. Mm -hmm. You know, speaking of family, I know your daughter works for your company. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, so we actually all work for my daughter. Oh, how wonderful. Yeah, Madison is 11 years old. A couple of years ago, she started a nonprofit that eventually became the parent company for most of our work now. The nonprofit actually owns the retreat center. All of our counseling that we do is done through the nonprofit. Our equestrian work is done through the nonprofit. We have a farm to table uh, initiative that's done through the nonprofit. And so it was her idea to start the nonprofit. And so a couple of years ago, my wife and I helped her to do that. And seriously, now all of us that are in a full-time or a part-time capacity for the nonprofit for her, she's still in school, but wow. uh, <laughs> we go to work and she messes around all day. Well, it's um, a chip off the old block because you started when you were 12. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> How wonderful. I thought about that after the fact. That wasn't planned that way. Wow. <laughs> All right. So tell us, Mike, about a challenge that you've experienced and how it has shaped your life. Yeah. So we've alluded a little bit to the dysfunction that I experienced Mm -hmm. in my work. You know, to be totally transparent, there were two different times when I went to organizations, colleges and universities, where there was significant turnaround, millions of dollars in results and positive turnaround. Enrollment increased hundreds of students and where my contract was not renewed. Or uh, in one case, I was asked to resign. And for me, you know, that just blew my mind. And there were multiple reasons for that. Some of them had to do with the organization and the leadership was not prepared for the work that would be required to accomplish the vision they had. Some of it had to do with my leadership posture, the structure that I created, the way that I worked with people, uh, among other things. 
some of it simply had to do with I wasn't the decision maker and other people who had great ideas were not in a position to implement those ideas. Mm-hmm. For what I remember standing in the kitchen in Clemson, South Carolina, gosh, probably seven or eight years ago now. And my wife said to me, we were, I was telling her about the dysfunction I was experiencing and complaining, you know, like we always do to, to our spouses and significant <laughs> others. And she said, Mike, for about six months, I've felt like there's a part of you that's dying. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you're ever going to get it back. Oh, wow. And at that moment, in fact, I'll never forget her saying that's really become a part of our story. I realized that I was in a mess and that it was not only affecting my work life, but now I'm bringing that into our home and into our family. And my first thought was, if you'd told me that six months ago, mm-hmm. it would have saved us a lot of uh, a lot of pain or whatever. You um, probably weren't ready to receive it six months prior. And she said, uh, that's probably true. But what she said to me was, no, I wanted you to be able to process it yourself without added pressure from me. And I thought that was very wise yes. on, on her part. Uh, and so at, from really from that moment, coupled with the things that I'd heard from Mark Miller and the things that I heard from Andy Stanley, I really became a student of my wife and my kids. And that's where the vision for uh, our work today was started. I want to help people. In fact, the way my daughter has said it, we want to help people get the help they need, even if they can't pay for it. Mm. And so we're working with a lot of big companies that can pay for it to allow us to help nonprofits and even faith-oriented organizations get some of these same high-value resources, even if they can't pay for it. So it's significantly rewarding work, a lot of fun. Wow, that's great. So here's the thing, and this Mm -hmm. this is a great quote for your listeners today too. For all of you listening, we can never be great leaders until the mess becomes our message. We'll never be a great leader until the mess becomes our message. And I think that's something that it took me over 40 years to realize myself that I was running from the mess or trying to uh, problem solve around the mess. And life is not a problem to be solved. It's an adventure to be lived. Is this your quote? It is either John Eldridge or the book is called Stepping Up, A Call to Authentic Manhood. Sanborn, maybe. Yeah, search the quote. It'll probably come up. Google. John Eldridge. What was his book that I read? Uh, Wild at Heart. Yes. Love that book. Mm -hmm. Okay. So tell us about one of your greatest successes and how it has shaped you and the lives of those around you. I normally don't think about things this way. It's just a challenging question for me. You know, I would say the best business decision I ever made was actually a really challenging decision. I mentioned going to Jacksonville, Florida. I mentioned the commercial property that we bought there where we had our headquarters and then we had a property management company where we rented out office space. When we went there, we were subleasing from a nonprofit that was subleasing from a nonprofit that was leasing from this owner. One day the owner walked into my office and said, Hey, what does it mean when somebody says they're gonna foreclose on you? And I was like, wait, what am I what did you just ask? Me? And I said to him, wait, tell me what's going on. And he said, well, I bought this building from the developer and he is holding the mortgage and I haven't paid him. I'm 90 days behind on this. You know, what's going to happen? And I said, well, let me look at it. So sure enough, we looked at it. He's in trouble. And so I had several people come and look at the space. One of the guys that I had come look at the building was the CEO of ERA Real Estate Company, which was based in Atlanta at the time. And his son was one of his friends. And he walked through the building with me and said, I don't think this would be a wise investment for you. 
Now, for me, I had done a lot of work and a lot of thinking about it. I knew it was a good location. I knew some things that were coming up with the Florida Department of Transportation that was going to increase the property value. And so even though this person was a wise, respected person, we made the decision as a team to go ahead and purchase the property. At the time, I had not received the appraisal yet, obviously. And so we go to closing. The vice president of the bank calls me the morning of closing and says, hey, I just got the appraisal back. The building appraised for two times what you're getting ready to pay for it. Oh, that's <laughs> nice. Yeah. And so, uh, and then of course, then the building actually tripled in value over the next five years because the Florida Department of Transportation put an off ramp to uh, Interstate 10 right at the end of the parking lot of our building. So, what at the time, seemed like I was going, in fact, I, I lost a relationship with this person, the CEO of I mean, very influential person, mm-hmm. Fortune 500 company over my decision. He was frustrated that I'd ask his advice mm-hmm. and I hadn't taken his advice, but I was doing what we knew we needed to do. And it became the best business decision that we ever made. It's the way that we've been able to do what we're doing today. If we hadn't made that decision, we never would have been able to. Wow. So even in the face of adversity, we were able to make a decision. Again, the mess Mm-hmm. now becomes part of the message. Well, when you had a vision. Yep. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Now, what would you tell a new leader who's discouraged about their working climate or culture? Yeah, stay at home, sit on the couch and don't. <laughs> yeah, you'll be a lot safer that way. No, I love the quote we mentioned earlier, John Eldridge, you know, life is not a problem to be solved. It's an adventure to be lived. I really believe that if you're called to leadership, and many of us, we say we find it by accident because very few of us really set out to lead. We turn around one day and we are. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> uh, and that's fine. I think that the important thing is that we prepare ourselves properly, that we put foundational things in place, just like we're helping leaders uh, every day to do, to make fundamental decisions that simplify thousands of other decisions for them. And for us, it's the five phases of simple leadership. The first three phases, we walk people through three simple tools that will solve 85 to 90% of the challenges that we face on a, on a daily, weekly, monthly basis. Wow. Okay. So many leaders describe themselves as lifelong learners. What does that mean to you? And what are you learning now? Yeah, it's different today than it probably was 10 years ago. To me, lifelong learner would have been, uh, I'm a reader, or I listen to podcasts, or you know, I go to conferences. You know, To me, that's what it would have meant before. Today, what lifelong learner means to me is I'm more evaluative than I've ever been before, personally, and about those closest to me, and about our work. And so I'm constantly looking for ways that I can learn from those who are closest to me and help them. And I think it really goes back to the quote we mentioned from Andy Stanley that, you know, your greatest legacy will probably not be something that you do or you become, but something that someone else does or becomes in their lifetime, something you help them mm-hmm. to, to do or become. Thank you. Now, tell us what you've read that our listeners should read and why. Yeah, several great books. And as with most leaders on uh, your podcast here, these are things that were very pivotal works for me. So number one, Necessary Endings by Henry Cloud is a great book. Henry Cloud came out of the psychology world, is now an executive coach for large companies, large organizations. And in that book, he talks about, you know, sometimes we prolong relationships or we even prolong staying in an organization for money or because there's something we're getting out of the organization. Sometimes we just need to make a clean break 
break and move on. And so it gives a way to do that without running from the problem. Great book. Okay. We've mentioned John Eldridge and Wild at Heart. I love that book. I'm glad you've read it. Most people start reading and say, hey, this is a guy. This is all about macho guys and being a man and fighting, sword fighting and all that stuff. And it's not. It's really about being the authentic person that you were born to be. I've had people say that this is a guy's book, but it spoke to my heart. Also, I have a son and and it helps me understand too some perspectives that my husband has. So it's a great great, book. Great thought. I agree. Awesome. So necessary endings and wild at heart. Thank you so much. Now, Mike, tell us what you do on a daily basis to set your mind for the responsibilities you have. So what is it that you do in the mornings? Um, How do you set this up? So to give a little bit of context, and and I don't say this at all to be bragging or anything like that. That's my point. I want to give you a little bit of context. So I'm on the board of our nonprofit. Um, very active. I'm also currently the the executive director for the nonprofit, so day-to-day management. I also lead our for-profit, the Guidestone Group, which we do all our coaching, speaking, and training through. Mm -hmm. I'm the president of that company as well, very involved in that as well. And then we have several other things that we do. In fact, we have multiple businesses that are subsidiaries or initiatives of either the nonprofit or the for-profit. And so it could get unwieldy. I mean, we talk about people being busy and and one job, they go to one job and and stay in one office every day. You know, that's the chaotic world that we live in. And I've, I've made a conscious choice, a purposeful choice to do this, to live out the five phases of simple leadership that we developed over the last several years. And now that we're using to train companies, leaders, and teams all over the world. And essentially, it's that we look at really the first three phases. We look at who and what is most important to you. And then we decide how our work should fit into our overall life. Many people do it the other way around. They're like, well, I got to have a paycheck in order to live. So I need to go find something to do. And and we try to find something to do that we like, that we enjoy. And so we say, I have a job and I have to do it. And then life kind of fits around whatever that workday looks like, whether it's full-time or part-time. And for us, we've chosen to do it the other way. We say, okay, what's the life that we want to create? What's the legacy that we want to create? And then we say, okay, if this is what we're going to do, then our work has to fit within that. And so there are very few weeks that I work 40 hours a week. And most people be like, what? <laughs> With all that? Yeah. So we, and we're still a relatively small company. Mm-hmm. So most people that are doing what we do work 60, 70, 80 hours a week because you're trying to get your company off the ground. But we've found ways to be highly productive by, by simplifying things for us. And we're helping people in companies who used to work 40, 50, 60 hours a week to significantly reduce the number of hours that they're working and increase the productivity. Here's another great quote. I can't remember who said it. Might have been Tom Rainer. Your company will soon forget the long days that you put in, but your children will never forget the memory-making moments. Wow. Yep. As you're talking about high productivity and working less than 40 hours, I think of how beneficial this would be, especially in ed leadership, because you have a lot of burnout. You have a lot of very talented, wonderful leaders with great vision and creativity and teachers who burn out because we don't have this straight. And I think we would benefit so much from going to your program. Yeah. We don't have think space. And so our ideas are shallow. Our relationships are shallow. Our work is shallow work. 
We're not doing the transformational work, the fulfilling work that we want to do. Our family's shallow. And so what we're trying to do is help people go deeper. Yeah, we might do a few less things, but we want to go deeper. This morning, I was having a conversation with my wife. We got away a couple weekends ago, went to the beach in Destin, Florida. And I said to her this morning, I'm like, Sarah, I want to figure out how to do more of that. I loved sitting there under an umbrella on the beach, watching her and my daughter play in the waves, watching my son throw sand all over himself. And uh, we actually took a couple of their friends, met another couple down there. I mean, that was to me, even though I was not productive at all, I didn't do any work. Those are the memory making moments that I want to create with my family. Now, some people are like, is that even possible? Hmm. Or, or you just don't understand my life. That's not possible. And I'm telling you, we are helping hundreds of people to simplify their life and work. I mean, very few people I feel like are busier than me mm-hmm. <laughs> or could be busier than me. But I've chosen to fit my work around the life and the legacy that I want to create. And that's what it's all about. So, Great. Thank yeah. you so much. So we've come to our last question. If you can go back in time... What advice would you give the younger you about leadership? I think a lot of these things that we've talked about already could fit into that. Let me tell you a quick story. My daughter, a couple years ago, came home from work. I'd planned on being home a little bit earlier, but when I came home, she wasn't at home. She was across the street playing with another friend. I stand there in the kitchen, tell my wife about my day. She was telling me about her day and my cell phone rings. I answer the phone. And it's my neighbor across the street. It's his number, but it's my daughter on the other end of the line. And she says, Dad, they're getting ready to sit down to dinner, and they invited me to stay for dinner. So my mind is probably like a lot of you guys. You know, you've got this neighbor girl that's here. We need to sit down and eat before the food gets cold. We don't want to make her go home. And so we invite her to sit down to dinner with us. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm like, babe, so I don't pawn my kid off on my neighbor. I said, babe, just go ahead and come home. We're going to eat dinner. Uh, I'd like to hear about your day or whatever. And she's like, Dad, but I want to stay. And so, again, I just said, hey, just come on home. You can go back over there and play after a while. And then there's a click on the other end of the line. And and my daughter's like seven. She's been the model child. She's been the easiest kid ever. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, Sarah, I think she just hung up on me. I mean, moments later, she kind of sulks through the front door. We sit down to dinner. It's awkward. And being the good parents that we are, we let her go back over there and play, you know, after dinner. Well, she's over there for a couple more hours and then it gets time for us to get ready for bed, go to school the next day, those types of things. And, and I don't want to be hung up on again. So I walk over there. I knock on the door. Madison answers the door, which was odd again. And I said, babe, it's time to go get ready for bed so we can go to school tomorrow. She said, we're just getting ready to go out and ride bikes. I was like, oh, man. I said, babe, just we got to go get ready. We'll come back tomorrow. They're going to be here. They're not moving. And she reaches back and slams the door in my face. Now, again, I mean, this had never happened before. I mean, our daughter, even to this day, I mean, this is a daughter that started a nonprofit when she was nine. <laughs> and uh, I'm just like, what the heck just happened? So I walked back across the street because if I'd stood there, it wasn't going to be a good thing. I walked through the front door and again, I vent to my wife. She just slammed the door in my face. She comes in the door. She goes upstairs and gets ready. And I tell Sarah, I said, babe, we've got to have a conversation with her and just say, hey, what's going on? And obviously that can't, that's not acceptable. After she gets ready for bed, we sit down together on the couch and my wife starts asking her, you know, kind of these psychoanalyzing questions. He's a counselor. Um, our eyes are all starting to cross and we're sleepy and all this stuff. I mean, I try to take responsibility for my part as a leader and as a leader in a home. And I said, Madison, let me ask this one question. What could mom and I have done to, to help you respond better in those moments? And she said, you know, 
with wisdom beyond her years. If you had just given me a time, I would have been here. If you just told me what time, I would have been ready. And what she was saying was, when I prepare properly, I'll respond better in the moment. And so for me, I mean, there are many times when I was sitting in a boardroom, somebody said something stupid and I let them know how stupid it was Mm -hmm. in front of everybody else that was sitting there. Mm -hmm. Or someone on our team did something silly. And instead of overlooking it and realize that we all make mistakes, I drew attention to it. Mm -hmm. And we've all done that. And if we'll prepare ourselves for life's moments, these incredibly challenging, painful moments in life, or if we anticipate them, then we're better prepared for them. We'll be better prepared to respond in the moment. Michael, I've I've learned so much. I really (laughs) want to thank you so much for adding value, not just to me, but to our listeners. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Hello, leaders. Don't forget to go to our website at masterleadership.org to get show notes for this episode and to find out how to get a free coaching session from one of our exceptional educational leadership coaches that are featured on this podcast. Until next time. Bye.